Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is perfectly perfumed as we meet a world-renowned nose whose journey in fragrance was born from a desire to collaborate with couture houses. I came into the perfume world from the couture side of it, through the bottle, through the advertising, I would say more of the, the outer packaging. This is The Entrepreneurs, with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Francis Cordion is the co-founder and creative director of his eponymous Maison, an haute parfumerie behind some of the world's most recognisable luxury fragrances, and one that's celebrating its 15th anniversary this year. Growing up, Francis was inspired by couture brands, originally becoming interested in perfumes through their cultural and visual aspects rather than the scents themselves. By 14, however, he knew he wanted to become a perfumer. After finishing perfume school in Versailles, he found early success in the world of fragrance when, aged just 25, he created Jean-Paul Gaultier's Le Mal. After years of lucrative collaborations with couture houses and designers, with his business partners, he launched Maison Francis Cojon to further explore the craftsmanship of perfume and to expand the landscape of olfactory free expression. In 2015, the Maison released its most celebrated perfume, Baccarat Rouge 540, a powerful, intoxicating, amber-floral fragrance that many have fruitlessly attempted to imitate. I caught up with Francis to hear more about his early interest in perfume, how he navigates the naysayers and the so-called dupes, and the role he believes technology will play in the future of luxury fragrance. Francis began by telling me more about the start of his fragrant journey. As far as I remember, I was not into smells at all. I came into the perfume world through the outer packaging, through the bottle, through the advertising. I would say more of the, from the couture side of it, because I'm 50 four years old now. So you have, we have to go back in time to the late 70s, in a way, where the perfume world was very different to what it is now, uh, especially perfume-wise tied up to the couture world. Nowadays, you have celebrities jumping into the perfume world. You have athletes, you have actors, singers doing perfumes, and also some lifestyle brands. Back then, it was, I would say, almost only, only couture brands had perfumes at the time. And I grew up in that kind of couture environment. The father of my mother, my grandfather, was a, a tailor. And my mother, she used to design and to sew her own wardrobe in a way. And so she did so also for myself and my brother and sisters. So to me, couture and perfume were one thing in a way. And it's only when I decided to become a perfumer that I started to be interested in perfume. So my earliest scent memories are very basic in a way. It's more about the cuisine of my grandmother because we are from a Middle Eastern background. It was about the perfumes of my father, the perfumes of uh, my mother. I'm not so sure that when I was a kid, I was that interested in, into the smell itself. I was more dreaming about the bottle. I was more dreaming about the uh, advertising, as I said. It was more about the, what was around it. 
it's a whole so kind it, of world of a world of brand, of look, of feel. But it was also a world, as you said, so evocatively there, Francis. It's informed by family and by the smells, the sights, the sounds of, of family. And I think that maybe goes some way to explain your success because you can't teach somebody to appreciate all those different disciplines, can you? That's it's often an, an innate skill. Talk to me about, though, when you decided to make the move and you did train in sort of perfumery more formally, did you begin to look then at the world of of scent, of taste, of fragrance, I don't know, more clinically, in a more scientific way, or did it just give structure to your natural instincts? Gosh, I was 14 years old when I decided to become a perfumer and when I dreamt about this job. At the time, again, in the 80s, we knew very little about the métier because no internet, because very few books about perfumes, because the perfumer himself was backstage. And it was very hard to understand exactly and precisely what was it to be a perfumer, what was the exact job at such, at such a point when... I started to ask for internship into couture houses. I thought that Yves Saint Laurent was creating the perfume himself. Of course, I knew that there was someone called a perfumer, but just even to understand the relationship between the couturier and the perfumer, everything was kind of a, a blur and totally obscure. So at 14 years old, I decided to become a perfumer. With my parents, we found a school, which is a, the school in Versailles. I visited the school. I was... 16 years old. And when I went there, the director of the school told me I was too young. I should come back after graduation in, in chemistry, which I'm very bad in chemistry. I was not skilled at, at all in chemistry. I'm a, I have a very mathematical mind, but chemistry and all these things are very far away from my mindset. And yet I managed to join the school. So I was 21 years old. And I studied perfumes for two years at the perfumer school. So studying, what does it mean to study perfumes? Basically, it's about first you have to train your brain to smell. I'm not saying your nose in purpose because the nose is just the journey. The nose is the medium. Basically, the nose transmits the smell from the outside world to your brain. It's like when you train your eye in photography or when you train your eye in decorative art. It's not your eye itself. Your eyes are not skilled to look at beauty. Your brain is trained to look at beauty and to look and to see beautiful things, you know? The eyes is just the transmitter. So it works exactly the same with scent. So at the perfumery school, you, you learn to build up your olfactive memory. You train your brain to remember the smell that you need to that you need to memorize because basically what is to create a perfume? To create a perfume first, you need a story, you need a pitch, you need a, something to say with sense. The same way a writer will use words to express a feeling, the same way a painter will use colors or a musician you'll use notes. A perfumer, at least the way I see my job, I have an idea, I have something I want, a feeling I want to express to express that feeling, I use the world of smells. And at the perfumery school, you learn a vocabulary, you learn to appreciate smells, you learn to describe them, you learn to, you learn to connect smells and, and your feelings. Therefore, when you have something to say and when you have a feeling to express, you go back to the French li- library 
to blend the smell in a certain way that at the end, the result expresses what you have in mind. This is how it works. You talk about it amazingly. It's, it's so elegant and eloquent. In those early days, you've trained, you obviously had this passion from, you know, you said when you were 14, 15 years old. I'll ask you more about your own Maison in a minute, but you've done so many famous projects already for with other amazing houses, of course, famously with Jean-Paul Gaultier, of course, back in the 90s, but even right up to the present day with Dior and these sort of the, the recreation, this reimagining of, of the Lord de J'adore. Did you ever imagine that you were going to realise this, this dream? What would the Francis of today say to that 15-year-old kid? I had dreams. Of course, you can't sit on the radio because I'm smiling, but in a way... This is what I tell the younger generation when I have to speak to them when they are in their 20s. You can make it. It's about work. I believe that everything is feasible in life. If you dedicate your energy, if you dedicate a certain amount of work, of course, if you work also in a wise way, and also because you can't do anything to get alone, if you manage to find the right people, people who are going to help you, people who are going to f- show you the path, people who are going to encourage you, but also people sometimes who work in the negative way, people who tell you it's not possible, people who tell you you're not going to be able to make it because you don't belong to the community. As I said, I have a Mediterranean background. I have a kind of a strong name in a way because it's kind of hard to pronounce and it's, kind of, it's not that French in a way. And for many, many years and decades, Perfume was related to, to grass, that city, that very iconic town in the south of France where perfume has a very strong aura. And we believed it for so many years that if you are not from grass, basically you can't become a perfumer. And basically I had to fight all these preconscious ideas. And when I was young, I think I believed in myself more than anyone else. I always thought, and because of, maybe because of my father, everything is possible. Don't set up limits. And don't let other people to set up a limit for yourself. That's, to me, very important. And when I was young, of course, my dream was to work for couture houses as a young perfumer. My dream was to work for the house of Dior and the house of Nina Ricci and Yves Saint Laurent and so on. And basically, it became a reality step by step. Little by little, at any time, I would have thought that I would have what I have today. That's for sure. It's an amazing journey. And as you said, the idea of that step by step, the hard work, I always say on this program, there are no lazy entrepreneurs out there. You can have as much talent as you like, but you, you, have, to, you have to work super hard. Tell me, though, Francis, about 2009. In 2009, when you set up your own house, your own maison alongside uh-huh. Mark, what was it that you needed to achieve or to explore on your own? Because you'd realised this ambition. You had these amazing opportunities. You'd introduced some fragrances now that are so well-known globally and celebrated. Why did you feel <clears throat> the time was right for the expression of your own eponymous maison at that time? It's all linked to my first success. As you mentioned, Jean-Paul Gaultier Le Mal, I was 25 years old. The success of Le Mal, not only it was my first perfume ever created, but I was 25 years old. That type of success usually happens in your 40s or 50s. 
and very quickly I understood that my life would be very different because, you know, when you go to school or when you start as a young professional, you go by the rule, you go in a way by the book. After the perfumery school, you can't pretend to become a perfumer. You can't pretend to be a perfumer. You need a, another five to 10 years of apprenticeship. You need another five to 10 years to work on, on real projects. So basically you need about 15 years or fine tuning what you know or fine tuning your craft. As I'm concerned, I had only basically eight months from when I got out of school and with the creation of Le Mal, I got out of school in 92. Le Mal was created in 94. I did one year of military service in between. So basically, I had uh, eight months of training. With the success of Le Mal, I understood that my life would be tricky because how come you can surpass such a huge success when you're 25? What is next? What is your next step? What, what, what was my next step at the time? Because when you are able to create a perfume that becomes a blockbuster, that becomes the most best-selling perfume in the world, what is your next dream? You know what I mean? Something normal would have been, okay, I'm going to work on little project. I'm going to work with a perfumer who is going to taught me for five to 10 years uh, the craft. And then I will be on my own. And then I will start working on projects. I will start losing projects. And then one day I will start creating a perfume and maybe one of them would become a success. But that happened in one shot, 25. And I understood that basically what, what would be my next dream? So I had to reinvent myself. At the same time, I understood that the business model of perfume creation was very far away from my dream job in a way because things were very segmented. Perfumers on one side, fragrance suppliers, bottle design, ad campaigns in other people's hands, lots of marketing people. So basically, I was disconnected from my, from my dream. My real dream was to work with the creative people, was to work with the designer. And this is why, as you mentioned, I work for many famous designers. Yes, because my dream was to work and I managed to do so, to interact with, with Jean-Paul Gaultier, to interact at Dior at the beginning 20 years ago with Edith Sliman, with John Galliano, with uh, Mr. Ungaro, with uh, Albert Elbaz, with Narciso Rodriguez, that was my dream to collaborate, to have that kind of a connection, strong connection between those genius and myself. And 2009, basically, why I decided to jump on the other side, two things. First, I met Mark Shaya. At the time, he's my best friend, a very good friend of mine. We travel together. We do a lot of things, hang out and so on. He's bored also in his own way, in his job. At the time, he's a partner at Ernst Young based in Paris. I am kind of stuck into my own dreams because I did it all in a way. And then there is that crazy idea together to do something together and to create a brand, a maison, more than a brand, to create a maison where a maison that is driven by creativity, a maison that is driven by my dreams in a way. It's a beautiful gift that he gave me. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have words to express his dedication to, to myself. 
Well, you, 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 you've described it pretty smartly, I'd say, there, Francis. Tell me, though, I guess you pursue that idea of this purity of the creative expression and the journey of fragrance, because sometimes you describe that distance, that separation from the dream and the day-to-day. But then I guess once again, you start to enjoy success. You create some hugely popular, globally renowned and beloved fragrances. But then you, you end up hitting, I guess, another disconnection where you have to start dealing with other problems. One thing that jumped out immediately to me is pretenders, people who are trying to exploit your brand, exploit the amazing products that you've developed. I mean, we call it sort of passing off in the UK, you know, dupes, they say in the US, or this idea that people are trying to piggyback on your success. How frustrating is it when you're you're doing something for this purity of the creative journey? And then again, and then you run into all these other annoying problems. Is that a frustration or is it is it worth the price? First, when one of your perfume is knocked off, or inspiration. I think it's a mark of acknowledgement of your talent, in a way. Coco Chanel said it, huh, that she was not afraid about dupes of her own of her style, because basically it shows that you inspire other people. So in a way, it's rewarding. When this happens, my mindset lately, especially lately, my mindset about dupes and so on is something very good, excellent, can't be really copied. You might inspire other people to do something close, but something very, very good can never be copied. I'll give you an example. When you think about gastronomy, for example, and all these chefs, they write books on how to do things and they give the recipes. So once you go back to your kitchen, you might buy same ingredients, you might buy the same tools, but once you are in front of the pan and you try to cook yourself and to follow the recipe, you understand it's very, very hard to duplicate. And basically with perfumes, it's a bit the same way. I mean, if the fragrance itself is exceptional, if the quality of the raw material that you use is beyond the ordinary, and if they serve the purpose of your creativity, then no one can copy you. And basically, lately, I, it happens, and I've noticed it because one of our best-selling perfume, which is out of the world, which is a Baccarat Rouge 540, which is one of the most celebrated perfume in the world right now, one of the greatest bestsellers for the past 10 years, that perfume inspired and inspires so many perfumers, so many brands. We have lots of dupes and we try to fight the ones that can be harmful to our business because my business basically are my people. I need to save my business because when I do business, it helps me to do R&D, to have teams, to make my team happy. But what I wanted to say is the quality of the perfume is so distinctive. The process behind the formula is so specific that no one so far has succeeded to copy the perfume. So I'm not so afraid about that. Of course, sometimes it's annoying because it's kind of there's something easy and quick and we live in that kind of a very fast environment. Everything has to be quick. It's annoying, but maybe it's a price to pay. And also I prefer to be copied than to be asked to copy other people and other perfumes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting. You talked about Coco Chanel and there's this idea, isn't it, that what do they say? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. So uh, it's good Absolutely. philosophy to, to view it as a, as a compliment. Of course. Can, of course. can I ask you about R&D, Francis? Because I find this really interesting. Yes. I've read before and I've heard you talking about, well, two things that I find interesting. One is the perfumery, the mastery of scent. It's based on very ancient principles, the same ways people have been harnessing scent and playing with it and using it for hundreds, thousands of years even. But yes. also your business is informed by technology. You talked about R&D, lots of yes. exciting stuff happening at the cutting edge. Is there a tension between the ancient, the traditional, the craft, the artisans working in this metier with the cutting edge of technology? Is there a tension there or actually do those things yeah. operate well next to each other? My view is that they work very well together because what is traditional in my craft, the tradition in my part is to create a scent that pleases people. That was the case when I started 30 years ago. That was the case 50, 60, 100, thousands of years ago. Human beings are pleased by smelling. There is something that is very unique. So that's basically the goal. Now, the way you do it, the way we do it depends on the tool we have today. The same way 30 years ago, I had, I would say, almost the same tool. They were not as advanced if I think about IT and even uh, artificial intelligence. We had already some kind of artificial intelligence 30 years ago. Nowadays, it's even, we have even more possibilities. We have even more data. But the, the ends remain the same. The, the, at the end of the day, I have to create a perfume that smells good according to my aesthetic principles. I have to create a perfume that will seduce a very large audience. That's my goal. My goal is not to create something niche and just for an elite. My goal is to offer to the largest audience possible the most beautiful perfumes. Just to jump in on that, because I know, again, I, I can't remember where I read this, Francis, but you, I read that you saying, oh, look, I see a future where maybe perfumes they're not tangible anymore because we yes. may be able to because you spoke at the beginning about the mechanics of the brain you know we may be able to almost implant the sense yes. of a fragrance totally. into the brain but totally. is it is it okay yeah. if, is, is it okay if we go that way isn't that a shame if we lose the the physical if we lose the the physical manifestation of these things and as you said the bottle and the branding and that the haptic quality of touching it as well as smelling it i love sci-fi my father was a, was a pioneer in IT in France for so many years. He built up so many tools and so many crazy ideas. I grew up with the idea that technology is very important. I believe in science and the power of science. I love astronomy, for example, space discoveries and so on. And why not? Why not? You know, I will find a way. I think what, what is important is the ending, the goal. At the very end, the goal is to feel something through scent. Now, whether they come because you have a ship in your brain or you open a bottle or so on, I believe in creativity. I believe in the power of imagination. I believe in all these values because when you look throughout the history and the challenges are the tools that we had, when you... When we think about printing, the very first Gutenberg printing, when they printed books, so we went from, uh, from monks doing handwritten things to printing. When we think about the, the technology can bring through 
IT. I will take an example that people are going to understand very easily. If we think about photography, we went from painting to photography, different types of photography in the early days of the 19th century. And now you have the virtual world and you have augmented reality. Gosh, I love it. I think we have new emotions. We have new ways to express ourselves. It's like, you know, it's like music. If we think about music, let's take Elvis Presley and rock and roll. Do we think that Elvis Presley could have used classical instruments to create his music that we all love? If we think about, uh, I don't know, the Beatles and their music and how they change the world, but they needed technology in a way. So we should not be afraid. I think we should just be confident in the capacity of creators and some genius to push the boundaries and to keep bringing us emotions and new emotions. That was Francis Cajon. And you can learn more about the brand by heading to franciscajon.com. And that's all for this episode of The Programme. We'll be back at the same time next week. In the meantime, do look out for Eureka, available every Friday. The Entrepreneurs was produced by Laura Kramer, with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. Or you can follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, email Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye, and thanks for listening.